It's a new era for the top level of Australian touring car racing, and it's shaping up to be one of the most unpredictable seasons ever. Hi everyone, Lockie Mansell here. Welcome to the Checkered Flag Chat Preview Podcast for the 2023 Repco Supercars Championship. Joining me to preview this year's Supercars Championship is my good mate and sports journalist Shane Jones. Jonesy, welcome to another episode of Checkered Flag Chat. Thanks, Lockie. I think I'm probably the the number one person apart from yourself on Checkered Flag Chat now, so um, or the number one guest, I should say. So I'm looking forward to it, and it's it's an exciting new era for supercars, and um, with with all the talk that's happened with Gen Three, it's finally time to go racing, and it'll be nice to go racing in some respects. So yeah, bring on Newcastle. It's a massively exciting year. So many unanswered questions. And I think before we get into our preview of each driver and team in the field, we need to preface the discussion by saying that this is probably the toughest preview podcast that we've ever had to do just because there are so many unknowns. The cars have changed completely. They're still as we record this podcast, discussions going on around parity. There's still some aerodynamic testing to take place in the last fortnight before we go racing on the streets of Newcastle for the opening round. So in terms of understanding what the form's going to be, it's really, really tough because even if you go back to previous seasons, not necessarily all of that form is going to translate into 2023. And yes, there's been a bit of pre-season testing and we had one all-in test day at Sydney Motorsport Park, but with variable weather conditions and different teams running their cars with different tyre options and, and different mechanical configurations, there's not a lot that you could read into that either. So out of all of the preview podcasts that we've done, um, all I'm going to say is if... Our predictions for each driver's finishing position in the championship are completely wrong at the end of the season. Please don't uh, come hunting for us because we've done the best that we can based on the information available to us. Don't bring out the pitchforks is what we'd suggest. (laughs) Just make sure that um, you you tell us that we're wrong, but do it nicely. Look, at the end of the day, um, I think we've done podcasts. Well, we did the 12-hour podcasts. Uh, podcast recently and most of us were on the money as to who was going to be quick during that day obviously different results changed um, in the last hour because of different factors and then the previous year when you and I did the the, uh, the Bathurst 1000 preview we pretty much got that spot on as well so look we have got some good form guides with those two events but obviously with the, the supercar season this year it's completely new it's completely different and yes you can go on which driver is better but again it's going to be coming coming down to the package if the package from one driver is better to the next driver you bank that driver to beat the other driver because the package is going to be better and as you mentioned at the sydney test well we had so many different factors different teams are running different engine ballasts some weren't running an engine ballast some were running soft tires some were running hard tires others didn't get the the right time of the day to to have a test on I have a good qualifying sim because either the car was having a mechanical issue or it was too wet or there was different things going on. And there were some teams that completely went, no, you know what, forget about this. We're just going to go through our own testing window. When we get to Newcastle, we'll we'll then extract the full speed of what we believe will be in the car. So when you factor all those in, we have so much uncertainty with the season, but it also brings 
plenty of good things. Um, we all want difference in the championship. We don't want the same person winning every single weekend. This presents an opportunity for something different to happen, and it could happen in Newcastle. We could have a completely different winner to the norm. We could have a first-time winner. We could have someone who hasn't won in quite a while. So I guess because of that, it's really exciting. But I guess for us as previewing it and predicting it all, well, it brings lots of chaos because we might be going one way with our predictions, but it could go a completely different way this year because of the way that the cars are are coming to the championship. And I think the other disclaimer before we get into our predictions is on the subject of parity, the mechanical specifications of the Mustang and the Camaro are still not finalised. There's been a lot of conjecture in the media and amongst the motorsport community that as things stand at the moment, the Camaro may have an advantage and there may have to be some adjustments to make sure that the two cars balanced we're going to go into this podcast assuming that the parity debate is sorted and that heading into Newcastle the two cars are going to be as equal and as evenly matched as they can be so if you're a Ford or a Camaro fan and you think your car is going to have an advantage throughout the season and you hear our predictions well if if we have the four drivers at a certain position and they've got the advantage this year just bump them up a couple of spots and vice versa with the Camaro if you think that the Camaro is going to have an advantage, or if the Camaro does have an advantage, likewise the Mustang, we'll just bump up the ratings for the drivers a little bit. But yeah, we're going on that the cars, by the time they get to Newcastle, will be parity. And I guess at the end of the day, we're always going to have this argument about parity. And if there is clearly a disadvantage with one car uh, with one car over the other, or an advantage, depending on which side you're on, um, nine times out of ten, supercars does look at it, does make changes, and does put it back to, to parity. I mean, look at look at the example of when the Mustang first entered um, supercars. There was a clear advantage. The, um, the supercars and the teams looked into it. They fixed it up. And then we had relatively competitive championship for the two years until pretty much Scott McLaughlin left. And then obviously it was Shane, uh, Shane McGisbergen dominating the championship. But if you look at the genuine two years after that, when the parity adjustments were made, Ford still won plenty of races, but Holden had just as good a chance as any to win on the weekend. It was just purely that we had one of the best ever drivers in the championship in Scott McLaughlin going on to win two of the two of the three championships in that period of time. You you just have to see what he's doing in IndyCar right now to know that he's a great driver <laughs> and there's there's talk that he could be in Formula One sometime down the line. Highly unlikely, but he's being that rated that he you could as some, as a commentator um, said recently, you could throw him in any car and he'd be competitive. So, I mean, he is a freak. Um, so, we've got to also understand that there are drivers that are sometimes better than other drivers, and it's not just the cars that are delivering the disadvantage or the advantage of a result. There are genuinely drivers that can be one, two tenths of a second quicker, depending on how they utilize their car and how quick they are over a one lap pace. That happens as well. We have to accept that. Yeah, indeed, and in these predictions, we'll be taking into account both the driver and our expected performance of each team. Just one final comment on parity before we get into it. So you you mentioned before that supercars overall, they've done a very good job of ensuring that the two cars in past seasons, obviously the Holden and the Ford, have been evenly matched, and we've had other manufacturers like Volvo and Nissan and... um, 
and same as AMG involved in the championship as well. But I think this year it's probably a little bit more challenging just because not only is it the aerodynamics, but also the engine configurations are different between the Chevrolet Camaro and the Ford Mustang. It's a 5.4-litre quad cam engine in the Mustang and a 5.7-litre pushrod motor in the Camaro. So getting not just the power outputs, but the way that those engines deliver their power equalised, that's been really, really challenging for the team at Supercars. So fingers crossed by the time we get to Newcastle, we'll have two cars that are evenly matched. At the end of the day, Supercars are going to have to work their way through this because if we want more manufacturers into the championship and we eventually want to go down a different line, say we put V6 V6 engine cars in there or or turbocharged cars in there, if if parity is a big issue, which it clearly is and clearly something that Supercars wants to do and you want new manufacturers in but they're not wanting to go the V8 route, well, you're going to have to adjust the parity on different types of engines to suit all or whoever wants to come into the series. So um, this is a challenge for supercars, granted, and hopefully they'll get through it um, and everything will be sweet by Newcastle. But also, if, if we're looking into the future, if we want more manufacturers in and we want to entice manufacturers in that may not want to use a V8 or may want to use one of their cars that may not fit into the supercar model right now, we want that opportunity for them to be able to enter and be able to be competitive from day dot. You want the Volvo scenario where Scott McLaughlin was able to come in, be successful straight away. You don't want the Nissan and the Erebus Mercedes scenario where it took them months, if not years, to finally get the results that they were after. You want to make sure that when you come to the first round of the season, it doesn't matter what car it is, you've got a legitimate way or a chance of winning a race. And conversely, you don't want new manufacturers to come in and beat the existing manufacturers comprehensively either. That, that's also not a good outcome because uh, it flies in the face of manufacturers who have invested in the sport for many years in some cases. Of course. So before we started recording this podcast, Shane and I each wrote down our predicted championship finishing order from 1st to 25th. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through each team in the field. So unlike previous preview podcasts where we've done it in car number order, just to mix things up a bit, I decided that we would do it in team alphabetical order. So it'll be interesting to see how our predicted championship finishing positions for each driver compare and I think there might be a few disagreements between the two of us, which will always make things fun. But we'll start at the top with the Blanchard Racing Team. Driver change for the single car, cool drive racing Mustang. Last year, it was driven by Tim Slade. But this year, it will be driven by Todd Hazelwood, who's come across from Matt Stone Racing. And interestingly, this was the first team to get their complete Gen 3 car onto the track at Winton Motor Raceway, a great effort from the smallest team in pit lane to be the first to complete laps with the new Gen 3 car. Todd Hazelwood, he and his family, it's been well documented how hard they've worked to allow Todd to be enjoying the full-time supercars career that he is currently. How do you see him going this year, Shane? I thought you were going to go first with your prediction. Well, 
Do you want me to... Who wants to go first with their predictions? I reckon you go first. All right. We might swap it around a bit just to make it interesting, but I've got Todd finishing 14th in the championship. Okay, so I've gone a little bit lower. Uh, I've gone 19th. So um, if you look at last year, Tim Slade finished 11th uh, in the same team, not the same car, obviously, but in the same team. Um, But towards the end of the season, he really struggled. So there's no doubt Todd's got talent. He's done really, really well for for the teams that he's been at previously. Um, But if you look at last year with Matt Stone Racing, that team struggled towards the second half of the year and just couldn't deliver a good result, mainly because focus turns to Gen 3, focus turns away from development, and that's sort of what happened. And And I guess the biggest challenge that I can see with this team is the fact that it's a one-car team and it's finding data by itself mm. and trying to set up its own way throughout a weekend. Whereas if you look at every other team, they've got a buddy or in some cases two or three buddies to help them out over weekend. So I'm not disputing that Todd can't get a good result or two and I reckon out of the blocks they might be really, really good considering as they were the first to not only get a, a shakedown test underway, but they've also they were also the first team to do a proper test. So I feel that that's going to be an advantage. But I just feel that they'll get a good start to the season and then as the season develops, there's teams that obviously have more resources, more um, data to put it to, to at their disposal and eventually they'll overtake Todd, unfortunately, and, and sort of move their way towards the front. So I don't think I don't see this as a Todd going... Well, he finished 18th in the championship last year anyway, so I feel it's in the same... Um, area that he was last year I, I just feel that the, the thing that might hold him back this year is just the fact that the car won't be as developed as what other teams are going to be and I think that's going to be crucial this year given what Gen 3 is providing and what already teams are talking about so I think Tolkien can get a good result every now and again and do what Tim Slade did Tim Slade pulled off some really good top six performances throughout 2022 and even 2021 and I feel that Todd can do the same thing I just feel in over a year over some consistency I think he might struggle at times and that's why I've got him a little bit lower than what you had yeah the reason I've got him a bit higher on the list is I just feel like the Blanchard racing team is going to be quick out of the blocks the fact that they were so enthusiastic about getting their new car onto the track they were also the highest placed forward at the test day not that we read too much into that but it was still an impressive performance for Todd Hazelwood to be the quickest of the Mustangs. And yes, you're right. I think as the season progresses, the teams that have got multiple cars that they can gather data from will have an advantage. But I just think if Todd comes out of the blocks quickly and can get some good top 10 finishes on the board in the early part of the season, then that might enable him to finish in the top 15 in the championship. So Yes, that's uh, our first disagreement. Five places difference in the championship between mine and Shane's predictions for Todd Hazelwood. So we'll jump to Brad Jones Racing, four cars and the same four drivers that they had in 2022. We've got Andre Heimgartner, Bryce Forward, Jack Smith and McCauley Jones. Again, you can't read too much into testing, but I will say this. Last time, there was a major technical change in supercars with Car of the Future at the start of 2013. Brad Jones Racing topped the preseason test at Sydney Motorsport Park. Once again, this year, they've topped the preseason test at Sydney Motorsport Park. If you cast your mind back to 2013, they were very competitive, particularly in the early stages of the first year with Car of the Future with both Fabian Coulthard and Jason Bright 
winning races. So BJR, they do have history for being very quick to adapt to changes in the technical regulations, and I think that might stand them in good stead for this season. They were also quick when the when the when the Gen Two cars came out as well. So um, when a new car uh, enters a competition, usually they are pretty good to to get on the ball straight away and, and be really competitive uh, very early on. So um, I I I expect them to do similar things. Whether that transitions in, into a potential championship or a um, or 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 a better performance than than last year is is going to be the, the question mark, obviously. And um, when we look back at the 2013 scenario, um, they came out of the blocks really quick, but weren't able to develop the car throughout the season. And then Triple Eight ended up getting the advantage and, and moving on. So, um, based on that, you think that similar things will happen. They'll come out of the blocks really quickly, and then it's going to be key whether they can continue to develop the car and and move it into that window to be competitive. I'll start with Andre Heimgartner, and I've predicted him to come sixth in the championship, right? So last year he was 10th, um, and I, I think he was probably a bit unlucky with some DNFs last year, particularly at, at Taylor and Ben, where he got involved in that incident with Thomas Randall, which meant that he had both a DNF in, in the second race and then didn't even start the third race. Uh, DNFs at, at Bathurst and uh, Surfers Paradise as well, but he also had four podium finishes. And I just think if he can minimise the non-finishes and if BJR are quick out of the blocks, then I do see him improving compared to last year. Amazing. I have him sixth as well. <laughs> All so, right, there we go. We agree on that at least. So we got one in agreement. So, yeah, I, I exactly the same reasons as you, as you just outlined. Um, I feel last year there were a lot of points left on the table through retirements, and a lot of them weren't his own fault. Um, Bathurst being one, and then obviously um, Talon Bend with the two races that got impacted uh, with the crash that he did with um, Thomas Randall. So um, that's that's over four, almost 500 points that he wasn't able to do anything with and score. So you feel that he, he'll improve on that, and then if BJR comes out of the blocks really quickly, I think he'll be... Yeah, one of the success stories of the year, and we know he's quick. We know if you give him a car that's good enough on its day, he'll put it in a good position. You just got to look at Pukakoi last year. He finished second and third in two of the three races. So if he's got a quick car, he can capitalize on it and win races. So he's one to look out for, for in Newcastle. He's one to to really um, keep an eye on that can be one of those drivers that comes out of the box really quickly. So he's, yeah, to me, he's rising this year. He's gone, he's, he's, I believe, going to go higher than 10th uh, last year in the championship. So, yeah, I've got him sixth and, um, yeah, just knocking on the door in the top five. But I just I think there's a couple other drivers that might sneak ahead of him. Bryce Forward, I've got him 17th in the championship. I, I think Bryce is a good driver, obviously, former Super 2 Series champion. Got absolutely smashed at Walkinshaw by Chaz Mostert in his time there and then made the the transition to Brad Jones Racing. And to be fair, last year for him wasn't a whole lot better than it was previously. On his day, he's good, but I just don't think that he's quite consistent enough. I've got Bryce in 18th, so one position behind you. Uh, Last year, he had a fair few top 10 finishes. He had uh, four, including ninth at Bathurst, which was actually his best finish of the year. So you'd feel that if he gets the car better than than what what it was in 2020, uh, two, then he's going to have some good performances. But 
to me, the, the biggest issue with him is he's inconsistent. He'll be really good at one round and then he'll be really inconsistent at another round. And if you look at his form line, he's only really good at a couple of circuits and then the other circuits he seems to really struggle and not get the results that he's after. So that's going to be the big focus for him, making sure he's consistent at all races this year. And particularly with BJR, he's the second guy behind Andre in the team. Now, if the car comes out really, really good, you want both of those drivers to secure as many points as they can in the first five to six rounds to secure them a really good position in the team's championship, which can then help them with their grid position for 2024. So his position is going to be really vital, especially if Andre gets a good start to the season. He's going to be needed to, to put in some really good performances to make sure that they can take the full advantage of of their, their improvement if they do improve uh, from the off-season. So that's going to be critical to see how he goes in, in relation to that. But yeah, I've got him... But I've got him in the bottom half of the of the top twenty. So we'll move on to McCauley Jones next, and I have McCauley Jones nineteenth in the championship, and that's pretty much in the same zone that he's finished the championship since he came into supercars as a full time driver. Um, I, I just I don't see him improving that much, to be honest. I've got him twenty first. So okay. Um, I've, I've seen him falling a little bit away uh, from last year to this year. Obviously, if the car's improving, he's probably going to have an advantage with that. But I just feel that, yeah, he, he, he just doesn't get the results consistently inside the top 12 that will move him up the ladder compared to some of the other drivers. I think he's I think he only had one top 10 finish last year, which was sixth in Melbourne. So um, it's very rare that he gets an opportunity to finish inside the top 10 and he's going to need to do that sooner rather than later to not only, I guess, show his worth to the team, but to probably keep his spot in the team as well. This is a big year for, for McCauley. Um, it's another year where he gets a full-time drive and I, I know, obviously, there, there's there's circumstances in his team which gives him an opportunity to race, but sooner rather than later, you also need to put results on the table and um, this is a big year for McCauley. If he can do that, if the car's really good, if he's got everything under, under him to, to do it, and he doesn't do it, well, then there's going to be more questions raised about his future. But if he can deliver, well, then those questions get put to bed. And we, we see the driver that everyone else is seeing in McCauley that's giving him this opportunity in supercars. The fourth and final driver at BJR is Jack Smith, who last year was the lowest-placed driver to have competed in every race. I've got Jack Smith ranked 24th in the championship this year. Again, he just since he came into supercars full time, there haven't been enough signs for me of progression. Uh, you know, you look at his results last year, and he had a best race result of thirteenth position, and, and more often than not, he was outside the top fifteen and and qualifying outside the top twenty. Yeah, pace is his big issue, not only in qualifying but obviously in the race as well. He just can't seem to be competitive enough to to stay behind or make moves to, to work his way up. I've actually got him 25th. I've actually got him as the, unfortunately, the last competitor. And, and I think we need to raise this point as well. Where we're ranking these drivers, yes, we are going to rank some lower, low in, in the championship. We're going to rank, obviously, others higher. We also got to make the point, these are the 25 best drivers in the country mm. that are racing in supercars. So for all it's worth, Jack Smith, yes, we've ranked him number 25. He is a far better driver than me in a supercar, and he will absolutely wipe the floor with me in any opportunity that I got or he got to race against each other. So let's not forget that these drivers are all here on merit. 
doesn't matter which way they get into it, whether they, they've, they've been able to get money on their side to, to get into the sport or whether they've got through uh, with talent and money or they've got in purely through talent and they've been recognised by people to give them an opportunity and a crack. Let's not forget that these guys are good enough on their day to be in the sport. They deserve their opportunity to be in the sport. And I think we all should remember that before we go onto websites and go onto different things and try and be keyboard warriors and tell them that they're not good enough because at the end of the day, they are good enough. They have give, they have been given an opportunity to race. And just because I rank Jack 25th and others lower or higher, well, there won't be anyone else, unfortunately, lower than Jack, but just because I rank them higher than him doesn't mean that on his merit he can't do a good job. He's done a good job previously in supercars. He's had some good results. I have no doubt that there'll be an opportunity this year where he'll get another good result. And you never know what this what this championship can throw up this year, especially with the new cars. He could really put in a good result. That might surprise all of us, but on its day, he'll be worthy of that spot. So um, I think we should be giving these drivers credit for getting into supercars rather than knocking them for, for either taking up someone else's drivers, a lot of pe- people say, or... Um, or um, criticising them for not being good enough. At the end of the day, they are there on merit. So let's move on. Here, here. And I think the thing that illustrates that is when you look at qualifying results from any given supercars session, often the margin between first and last is tiny. You know, exactly. you can sometimes at some circuits have the whole field separated by less than a second, which just shows that the overall quality of driving talent in supercars is as high as it's ever been. And unfortunately, somebody does have to come last. Exactly. So next team, as we continue to work our way through, Dick Johnson Racing with Anton De Pasquale and Will Davison, another team with an unchanged driver lineup. And... Yeah, it's going to be an interesting season for both of these drivers. We saw that Will Davison last year was particularly impressive in qualifying with nine pole positions, but uh, both he and Anton probably didn't quite get the results that they would have been hoping for. Overall, they finished in positions four and five in the championship. I, I think both of them probably would have been hoping to have been a bit closer to contending at the very top of the championship, we saw Anton Di Pasquale with a race win at Hidden Valley. Will Davison actually scored three race wins at Barbagallo, Sandown and Pukekohe. But I actually have both of those drivers ranked a little bit lower this year compared to last year. So I've got Anton Di Pasquale ranked fifth and I've got Will Davison ranked eighth. Let me explain. So last year, one of the biggest strengths for Will Davison was qualifying and some of those qualifying performances he was able to convert into race wins, but not often enough. He had nine pole positions and only three race victories. And from what we're hearing with this Gen 3 car and tyre conservation in particular, we're hearing that the tyre degradation, especially rear tyres, is going to be quite a bit higher than it was with the previous generation car, which means that the race setup compared to the qualifying setup is going to be different. And I'm just not quite sure that either Will or Anton are going to be able to convert that qualifying into race performances. Before I get into before I get on to both drivers, I should say, I um, just want to quickly make a word on DJR. This is a big year for them. They are the four team that homologated the Mustang. They are the number one team in most eyes for Ford. And 
it's a big year for them because if they get beaten by Tickford and also Walkinshaw and Dreddy United, who now move over to the to the Ford side uh, for their first year, if they get beaten by both of those teams, there's going to be some big questions uh, at that um, at that team heading into next year, not only with the drivers but also with the engineering and everything else in between. So this is a big year for both of them to to pretty much assert to the field that they are the number one four team. Also forgot Grove Racing as well. They are going to be one team to look out for as well. So this is a big year on them to make sure that they can perform. I have uh, Anton and Will very similar to yourself, uh, Lachlan. I actually have Anton in the same position in fifth and I actually have Will Davison in seventh. Um, Just purely for the fact that um, um, I think there's a driver... um, that will pit both of them, that have, that will go above them this year and we'll get to him a little bit later. Um, but I, I think Will's also going to, um, I guess, go down a little bit because at the end of the day, he's, he's I think, 40 or 41 um, years of age. So eventually there's going to be a, a slope that that these drivers go down that, that they're just not as good as what they were 12 months or 24 months before because age does become a factor. So I yeah, just feel that that's going to... I agree. At the end of last year, we saw a couple of mistakes creeping into Will Davison's game. Um, I mean, Bathurst, obviously, both him and his brother made mistakes, uh, which ultimately ended up in them retiring from the race altogether. And then at Adelaide as well, we saw that they had good speed, but particularly in the Sunday race on the streets of Adelaide, some mistakes for Will Davison cost him a better result. So... Uh, it's obviously a big year for Will, and we do send congratulations to him and his partner, Rihanna, on the impending arrival of their first child. So it's going to be a massive year for Will Davison off the track as well. 100%, but I don't think that's going to have any impact on his driving at all. But I just think that, yeah, age slowly catches up to you. We've seen it with so many other drivers in different sports, and, and particularly in motorsports. So... I just feel he's going to regress a little bit, but I mean, he's still to me seventh in the championship. He's still consistent. He's still going to have consistent results. He's probably going to be in contention for a win or two. I guess the key thing is at the end of the year, is that going to be good enough for DJR to give him another contract? And the same for Anton. Is his performance going to be good enough for them to give him another contract, or will both of them leave and they get some fresh talent in there from from different teams? It's going to be a fascinating twelve months with DJR. It is going to be a big, big year for that team, no doubt about that, and, and probably a couple of question marks you would have to say as to what their driving lineup looks like after this year as well. Next team on the list, Erebus Motorsport, another team with an unchanged driver lineup, Brody Kostecki and Will Brown continuing for another season at the Erebus squad. Brody Kostecki finished seventh in the championship last year with a couple of podium finishes. Will Brown, fair to say that 2022 didn't live up to the the lofty expectations that were set by his 2021 season in which he was a race winner in his rookie season and he finished 14th in the standings last year. This year, I've got Brody Kostecki in ninth in the championship and Will Brown in 12th position in the championship. I think that in terms of pure driving ability they're both going to get their heads around the new gen 3 cars really quickly there's just a bit of a question mark over their consistency compared to some of the other drivers and teams for me so i've got Brody kostecki in eighth and i've got will brown cracking inside the top 10 so uh tenth. will brown 10th yeah yeah so, so a bit higher than me okay 
I think Will Brown will be hoping that he doesn't have a Newcastle performance like his TCR performance in Tasmania where he couldn't pretty much race, or he raced in the second race, but uh, races one and three, he, he was on the sidelines because the car um, yeah, had some gremlins over the weekend. So he'll be hoping the Erebus doesn't uh, follow suit uh, in Newcastle. I, I just think, I think you, you hit the nail on the head before with consistency. I think both of them will be that will be quick enough on on a certain weekend to do good performances. But I then just think that overall in the season, there will be times where both of them will struggle. And I think that's just been a trait for Erebus in the last two to three years where they they come out the blocks really good at one one track and then they come to another track and they're either 20, 20th or 24th and 25th like they were in Darwin a couple of years ago. And you just sit there and go, how did that happen? But that's just, I guess, what's happening at the moment. But Coming back to your point about um, Will Davison and, and pole positions and needing to race to, to get your positions and, and I guess qualifying not being as important, I think race race development and race pace is going to be more important. I think Brody Kostecki is the perfect person to take advantage of that. And I think over the year with his aggression, the way that the car's built and everything else in between, I think this formula is suited to him. I just don't have him higher. I'd love to put him higher, but I just... I don't know. I think I'm 12 months away from him being a really top five contender in a championship. But I think this is his year to grab the new category by the scruff of the neck and to, to really deliver and show that he is in that in that top couple of drivers in the championship. And I hope this year is the first is the year that he can bring up his first win. And just in particular, if you if we get to a wet race and a wet track, watch out for him because. Um, he is quick in the wet. So there will be an opportunity if he's in a good position to potentially take advantage of that and secure his first win. And I have no doubt that that's coming sooner rather than later. Will Brown, what do we say about him? Because last year there were some rumours that he was linked to potentially slotting in at DJR and replacing Will Davison. Ultimately, that obviously didn't happen. But in the end, Will Brown finished seven positions lower than Brody Kostecki in the championship. So... You'd have to say that this year, Will Brown, yes, he has a very good reputation, but he's going to have to be a little bit closer to, if not ahead of Brody Kostecki, if he wants to keep himself in the frame for, for opportunities potentially in other teams. I think I think he'll be right on that. I think we've also got to put into calculations that he's only 24. Um, so he's still young in terms of where his race craft is compared to other drivers. And we've seen in in the sport over the last 15 years that drivers around 23, 24 will have their moments of glory, will do their really good performances, but then they'll do some really odd decisions or be completely out of a window or different things will happen. It's still a, I wouldn't call it an immaturity, but it's just a consistency of being at the top level one week and then making sure you're at the top level the next week. And I think Will's just going through that at the moment. I don't see it as a negative. I mean, we know that on his weekend and on his pace, he's one of the quickest guys out there. It's just using that aggression and using that pace for the good rather than the bad and, and making mistakes and, and pinning the car or, or doing something that, that puts you further down the grid. So he's still got that in his game that he needs to get rid of. But I, I still think that on his weekend, if everything works for him, he can still be on the pace. And I think if you're finishing top 10 in the championship in supercars, um, I know he didn't do it last year, but he certainly did it the year before and he certainly won and he did it and, and he won a race last year as well. I certainly think that still attracts attention of, of teams and, and sponsors and those sort of things. So I think he's fine in relation to that 
but yeah, you're right. He will start. He will need to start delivering on some performances sooner rather than later. And this is his, this is a perfect year for him to do it, given the way that Gen Three will roll out and the way that some unexpected results could happen. Mm, definitely levels the playing field. That's for sure. Let's talk about Grove Racing. So they've got David Reynolds, who remains at the team for another season, but he will be joined by Matt Payne, one of three rookie drivers on the grid. Now, this is a team that has invested heavily in making sure that they've got the right people on board. You can't question that. Grant McPherson recruited as the technical director. We've got David Couchy, former Triple Eight engineer at that team as well. So... Stephen Grove, who is the owner of the team, a very competitive and successful racer in his own right, being a, a former champion in the Pro-Am class in Porsche Carrera Cup and a multi-class winner at the Bathurst 12 Hour. So Stephen Grove is a racer at heart. There, there's no doubt about that. And is making sure that he's got all of the resources in place for this team to really take advantage of these new Gen 3 regulations will they be able to match it with the very top teams though on occasion i think yes consistently i'm not quite sure i've got david reynolds seventh in the standings matt payne i think he'll show glimpses of speed but we saw in his junior career uh, in both carrera cup and super two that while he was very fast he was also prone to making some mistakes so i've got him 22nd in the championship so I've got Matt Payne 20th in the championship and I've got David Reynolds sliding to 12th in the championship. Mm, so okay. we'll get we'll start with David Reynolds first. The biggest thing out of last week and the test sessions was the comments. Now, if you look at what everyone did in terms of comments, um, some teams decided to play the straight bat using a term in cricket, basically play the straight bat for defensive shot we're not going to comment, we're going to focus on other things and just get to Newcastle. David, on the other hand, decided, well, nah, Spinner's coming onto the to the pitch, so I'm going to decide to smack him out of the park and try and hit six sixes in an over. He made some comments last week about parity and basically said that the Ford was a mile off and it needed to be fixed up quite quickly uh, before Newcastle. Now, that can be um, interpreted multiple ways, but for me... If you look at David Reynolds and his form in previous years, if there's things that aren't on his mind and he's just focused purely on racing, he does really, really well. The second you put things into his head and he's not able to concentrate on doing what he needs to do, he has struggled. And I just feel that if this parity argument continues for one, two, five, six, eight rounds in the year, he may not be able to process correct, well, process correctly. We have process. He may not be able to focus on what he needs to do to get the best performances out of the car. And I feel that that might be a bit of a struggle and he'll fall further back down the the field. And to me, the battle between probably 6 to 14 is going to be really hot like it was the year before and the year before that. So it's going to take a couple of poor results here and there and you go from, say, 7th to 12th. So in reality, I've got these guys pretty close to each other. you just got to rank. For me, it's just trying to rank them between a certain number. So he's going to be there or thereabouts inside the top 10, but I just got him outside because there's a couple of other drivers that I rate higher that I feel they're going to finish higher than him on the on the, um, on the in the championship. But yeah, I am worried about those comments. I feel that he needs to have a blank cam- canvas heading into the season. And when he's got things on his mind, I worry that those performances may not 
be the best coming out of um, him for that for the season. Matt Payne, you you mentioned um, that he'll perform well in some respects and have some really good performances, but obviously there's times where he's been inconsistent and not been able to, to do really well. So I think that's going to happen in the first year. And if you look at the rookies in previous years and how they've gone, you take away obviously the exceptions, which were Will Brown, Brody Kostecki and Brock Feeney. A lot of the rookies have tended to struggle in their first year not struggle in terms of getting the odd result or two, but just struggle with consistency. So for that, I have Matt further down the order. I think once we get another year or two into him um, and in his performances in the championship, he could easily finish inside the top 15. But I just think he's a year or two away from really getting the craft of being competitive in this championship. And once that comes, well, then obviously um, we'll, we'll see some results because he is a quick driver. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing how he goes this year. Yeah, oh, there's no doubt that he's got raw talent. And I think probably the one saving grace for the rookies this year is because we do have these new Gen 3 cars, which are going to demand a different driving technique compared to the previous cars. It's a complete reset for everybody. So it's not like the rookies are going to be up against drivers who've had years of experience driving a particular type of car. Everybody's going to have to relearn a different driving style. So that probably helps the rookies out a little bit, but there will still be aspects of the championship, particularly when it comes to track knowledge, where it will benefit the more experienced drivers. So we move to Matt Stone Racing, and they have Jack LeBrock, who returns for another season at the team. He'll be joined by Cameron Hill, the second of our rookies in the field, stepping up from the Super 2 Series. Cameron Hill, of course, a former champion in Formula Ford and Carrera Cup. And, in fact, Jack Brock is a former Australian Formula Ford champion as well. Interesting to see that Paul Forgey, former Marcus Ambrose engineer, is going to be Cameron Hill's race engineer for his rookie season. But... Unfortunately, I just don't think that the Matt Stone Racing team overall has got some of the resources of some of the other teams, and I think that that's going to make it a bit of a tough season for them when it comes to developing these new Gen 3 cars. I think that Cameron Hill was a very good signing for the team because not only does he have the obvious talent as a driver, but also the fact that he's come from running his own team in Formula Ford and he's got a lot of experience when it comes to to driver coaching and data analysis and and engineering not just for himself but for other drivers as well I think in some respects he's going to be able to take a bit of a leadership role at Matt Stone Racing and and help them find a set up direction so I think that's definitely a good thing for them and with that in mind I've actually got Cameron Hill finishing ahead of Jack LeBrock in the championship, I've got Cameron Hill 21st and Jack LeBrock 23rd. Uh, I've got Jack LeBrock 22nd and Cameron Hill 24th. So pretty much around the same mark. Uh, if you look at their form and history as Matt Stone Racing, only one driver, I believe, has finished inside the top 20 uh, during their career uh, at Matt Stone Racing, and that's Todd Hazelwood, who's not at the team anymore. So... Um, you take away his results and every other driver seem to be outside the top 20. So, look, it's a new opportunity for them. It's a new opportunity for them to do really well um, and get some good results. Um, obviously, their level, the, the playing field has become more level, but um, I just feel that every other team will probably develop better and probably get to that point where 
yeah, they're just getting better results over a weekend. And Matt Stone Racing, unfortunately, over their history has just proven that um, they've not been able to to get that balance of trying to get a really good result and, and not having dramas along the way. So um, they've shown glimpses. Last year, they were on the front row in Simmons Plains. Um, they had multiple top six qualifying um, opportunities, but just weren't able to take it during the races. So there's no doubt that if you can, if they can get it all together, it can happen. But it just seems that they get one part together and the other two parts just can't come together. And then it's two parts coming together and then it's the one part that doesn't come together. Just They just can't put a weekend together that really puts them into the top 10 and, and does some really good performances. And obviously with Cameron, it's his first year. Um, he... He did well in Super 2, but if you compare him to some of the other drivers in there, they were probably better than him at some times, and he's coming into supercars now, and he's going to be racing similar drivers that have come into this championship, but also you're, you're competing against those guys that are that are more experienced and have been in the series for a very, very long time. So Cameron's going to have a big year of, of learning and a big year of developing and, and getting better, and I have no doubt that he will. Uh, he's a talented steerer, so I have no doubt that he'll adapt and be able to quickly work his way to where he needs to be. But just whether he can do it in a quick enough time to get the results, I'm not so sure. I think it's going to take a couple of rounds for him to get to, to speed and find his feet, and I think that's going to be where I see him towards the lower lower half of the field. And same with Jacques LeBrock. I think, um, yeah, I think if the car's not up to speed as quickly as... Um, they want it to be, then um, I think Jack's going to have another year of, yeah, not being able to get the good results. And he's probably under a lot of pressure this year to keep his spot and make sure that he's got a spot on the group for, for 2024 because, um, yeah, he, he'll want to deliver some results to, A, not only stay with, with Matt Stone Racing if they give him another opportunity, but if he decides to leave them or they decide to, to leave him, well, then um, he'll need to do well enough to attract the attention of other drivers, sorry, other teams to, to give him another crack. Well, you would have to say that, I mean, obviously in your predictions, you've got Jack LeBrock finishing ahead of Cameron Hill in the championship. I've got LeBrock behind Hill. You would have to say that if LeBrock finishes behind Hill in the championship, then it's going to be a pretty tough task for him to hold on to his drive at Matt Stone Racing, given the number of young up-and-coming drivers that are on the fringe of, of breaking into the main game in Super 2 Series and you know, other fringe drivers like the, you know, the Jaden O'Jaders and Jordan Boys of the world. So, yeah, I, I think it's a big season and I think you're right. I think there's a bit of pressure on Jack LeBrock to perform this year. 100%. And you're right. There, there's a lot of drivers coming through. And if you look at Super 3, there's a couple of sons of guns that are coming through and starting their way as well. And if they start performing really well, all the talk will be on them. Um, to, to potentially be in the series in the in the not too distant future, I'm talking about Jed Johnson and, and Mason Kelly. So um, yeah, there's some exciting times in Super Two and Super Three, and <laughs> their performances will certainly keep a few in the main game a bit nervous if um, they start to do some really good results. Yeah, it's a pretty big list of, of drivers, and it just seems to be getting bigger. The, the drivers who are on the precipice of of making it into the main game. So. That could, in fact, probably be a whole other podcast looking at, at drivers who have a chance of progressing to the main game supercars championship in the next few years. But anyway, we'll keep moving on. And the next team on the list is Premier Racing. So James Golding, having been drafted into the team halfway through last year to replace Gary Jacobson, who was unceremoniously sacked mid-season, Golding returns for another year. 
and he will be joined by Tim Slade, who moves across from the Blanchard Racing Team. Uh, James Golding, very impressive last year. Came in, obviously, having not raced full-time in the Supercars Championship since his Gary Rogers Motorsport days, but he slotted into the Premier Racing Team really well. We saw some, some good glimpses of potential from him. Tim Slade, obviously, very experienced and, and has the opportunity to slot into that team as, as the senior driver. And Peter Ziberus, the team owner, a man who has not spared any expense in making sure that the team is well-equipped for this transition to, to Gen 3. It's another team that have got themselves some very smart people on board. We know that Peter Ziverus is a man who does not accept mediocrity. That much was made apparent last year. And uh, therefore, I do see a big improvement in performance for this team heading into 2023. I've got James Golding 13th in the championship and Tim Slade 15th. Uh, so I've got James Golding 14th and I've got Tim Slade 9th. Oh, wow. Okay. So uh, we'll start with James Golding first. So you said you had him 13th? Yep. So if you look at his performances last year, the average of his finishing performances, so take away the two retirements that he did have, but the average finish of the um, finishes that he had was about 15. So I would anticipate that with the development of the car, I think they're going to get further towards the front of the grid. And obviously with James being a full-time driver now, I think he'll move a little bit further up. So that's why I've got him 14th. And I think I think that's where he is. I think he's basically in the top 15 drivers in, in the field and on his weekend, if the car's really good and, and he can perform really good with the car, he can certainly be inside the top 10. And Obviously, if um, if there's attrition in front of him, he can work his way even further, um, as we as we saw last year in Adelaide. So I think that's where I can see him um, being there or thereabouts. Tim Slade ninth. The only reason I've got him higher, as high as I do. So he finished eleventh last year with Tim Blanchard, and we know that last year, towards the second half of the season, they struggled with their development and everything else, and obviously um, the focus quite quickly turned to. Um, the new car, and they also had troubles with engineers. I think they went through three or four engineers at the same time, and they did different things that certainly impacted Tim Slade getting the best results, but he still finished 11th in the championship. And if you look at his race racing form, he was one of the best proponents of turning a poor qualifying position into a really good race result. Now, if, if Gen 3 is what it's said to believe, that's going to be pretty critical this year to race... Um, really, really well. And I feel that if Tim Slade, if he has a good car, which you think Premier is going to provide him with, um, he's a good racer. Qualifying is not going to be overly important compared to, to previous years. He can certainly work his way in and around the top 10 and, and be there at the end of the year. So I've got him ninth. And I think if Premier are saying all the right words and they're saying they're going to improve, well, I think ninth is not out of the question. There you go. So that's a, a quite a big difference between our prediction for Tim Slade. You've got him ninth and I've got him 15th. So I'm, yeah, I'm just not sure how he's going to go adapting to the new car. I think that's probably the biggest reservation that I have with Tim Slade, but I could be completely wrong as well. So I, I think that's out of the drivers. That's That's one of the ones that we've had the biggest difference in our predicted result. Uh, from where we think they're going to finish in the championship. Now, I reckon that there might be a difference in our predicted results for Team 18 as well. 
So this is a team that I think is going to go backwards a bit from last year, and it's not any disrespect to the efforts of Charlie Schwerkolt, the team owner, or any of the personnel at Team 18. It's more just the fact that I see other teams leapfrogging and moving ahead of them uh, in the championship. So Scott Pye, I've got 18th, and Mark Winterbottom, I've got 20th. Oh, geez, You've really gone low for, for both of them. I, I don't have either of them in those positions. So I have actually Scott Pye in 11th and I have Mark Winterbottom in 15th. If there was one query about my top 25, it's probably Mark Winterbottom because having thought about it and with the the fact that we're tending to lean towards drivers that race better than qualify, Mark's probably one that should be a little bit higher based on that. But I also, going back to what I said about Will Davison, he is also in that bracket where we tend to see drivers regress on their performances because of their age. And I just feel that sometime soon that pendulum's going to unfortunately swing for, for Mark and he's going to be struggling to get results. And I'm and I'm wondering if this year might be the year. So that's why I've got him sliding down to 15th. Scott Pye, if you look at his performances last year, he was quick, he was really good, but he just had so many DNFs or did not starts or just gremlins that... Um, cost him so many points. So the re- reality was he probably was a, a top 12 driver in the championship but just lost so many points along the way that he was never in the hunt. And I he think had, at one yeah, stage... He had eight non-scoring races last year, six DNFs and two DNSs. And at one stage in the championship, he was like 22nd or 21st and then worked his way up to 16th with some really good performances in the second half of the season. I feel the car's going to be pretty good. Um, I actually feel that Team 18 bringing everything in-house is going to be actually a benefit rather than a negative. Um, if we saw, if we looked at the power steering last year, yes, it happened in Adelaide. But apart from Adelaide, the power steering issues tended to go away because they brought the whole package in-house. I feel by them doing their own car this year, I feel that might be an advantage. And you never know. What they might do might work at a certain track better than everyone else. And... If there's going to be a driver that takes advantage of that, it will be Scott Pye or it will be Mark Winterbottom. They know how to work their way to the front. So I just feel that Scott Pye is going to have a year where he's not going to have as many mechanical gremlins or if he's going to have mechanical gremlins, then everyone else in the championship is going to have those similar things because of the way Gen 3 is going to be happening. So I just feel that it might be nullified a little bit and he's going to be able to work his way a little bit higher in the standing. So that's why I've got him 11th and obviously Mark Winterbottom in 15th just because at some point his age is going to catch up with him yeah so team 18 to be honest when i went through and i did my predictions they were one of the hardest teams to place overall they were. so uh, they could potentially finish a lot higher than what either of us have predicted but again it comes back to the point that this has been one of the the toughest preview podcasts that we've had to put together uh tickford racing so another four car team in the field so I think we'll go through each of the drivers individually. We'll start with Cameron Waters. So he has been consistently one of the front runners in the championship for the last five years. He was runner-up behind Van Gisbergen last year. Outstanding, particularly in qualifying last year, where he had more pole positions than anybody else in the field. Uh, I do, however, see him slipping back a bit this year. I, I see a couple of other drivers leapfrogging him and I've got him fourth in the standings. 
Ditto. I got him fourth in the standings as well. <laughs> there you go. Another driver that we agree on. Any uh, any comments that you want to make about Cameron? I just I just feel that the three I've put in front of him will beat him for the year. I, I don't think that's any negativity on, on Cam. I thought he had, had an outstanding year last year, and I feel that he's going to be every chance to, to replicate that or even do even better. I just... I just worry. Obviously, he's got championship credentials. We we know that he's that he's capable of winning multiple races uh, during the season. I, I just worry with the fact that him being at Tickford and just everything matching up to be able to put him into a championship position. That's my question mark. But if we look at what happened in the previous um, situation with Car of the Future, Tickford ended up working their way to the front. And we obviously had that era of dominance where Mark Winterbottom won his championship and Chas Mostert was second in the title race and won Bathurst and Mark Winterbottom won Bathurst as well. So I feel that if Tickford go on that same trajectory, we might be talking about Cameron Waters as a championship hope in 2024 rather than 2023. But I just feel at this moment, Tickford's just not able to deliver him exactly what he needs to be a championship winner. And I think that's the that's the question mark with him. But on his day, on his weekend, he can win races. He can take pole position. He can do pretty much everything. The only thing that's stopping you at the moment is Shane Van Gisbergen. And, well, we, we don't see him probably being stopped for a little while longer, even though I might have a word to say about that a little bit later. But um, that's going to be his Achilles heel, and I just feel that's going to be another issue for him this year. Before I get into the next tick for driver, I do want to ask you the question, who do you have as your... Second best Tickford driver. Uh, I've got mine. Who's yours? So mine is Thomas Randall. Okay. Mine's James Courtney. Mm. <laughs> All right. So who shall we start with? Well, we'll go with James Courtney first. All right. Well. So where, where do you have James Courtney in the championship? So 13 is, luck, is unlucky for some, but for me, I've got James uh, being lucky in 13. Um, and I've got Thomas Randall, if we're going to debate both of them at the same time, um, oh, Thomas Randall in 17th. The only reason I've got Randall below Courtney is because Courtney's more consistent than him, and I just feel that Randall's still that 12 months away from probably overtaking him and being consistent enough to win. Will Randall get the best result out of the two? Probably. Um, his qualifying form, particularly at the end of last year, was exceptional. If he can translate that form into race results... Happy days. He will be. Um, he he could potentially be inside the top ten and could be really um, doing very well this year. But we've spoken before. If this season is is a season where you've got to be better at racing rather than qualifying, well, I'd much rather be on the side of Courtney with his experience than Randall um, at the moment. And and, that, and I think that's going to show over the year. I think Courtney's just going to be more consistent and get some better results than Randall. But that's no disrespect to Randall. I just feel that he might be 12 months away from really getting the grasp of getting the consistency right. And if he does that, um, he's going to be he's going to be really a, a handy asset to, to Tickford down the line. Yeah, so I actually had Randall 11th in the championship, so six positions higher than where you had him placed. So another driver where there's quite a big difference in our predictions. So, again... Coming back to your point about his form towards the back end of last year being really strong, I see him continuing that momentum into 2023. I think he had a lot of bad luck at various points last year. I mean, there was obviously the stall on the grid and 
subsequently getting collected by Andre Heimgartner at the bend. And Bathurst was another tough one where his co-driver, Zach Best, crashed out on the first lap while trying to take evasive action with that incident on Mountain Straight. So that was a big bundle of points that was lost for, for Randall there as well. So I see, see him as being one of the biggest improvers in this year's championship, and I've got him just outside the top 10. Uh, conversely, James Courtney, and I think it sort of comes back to some of the the reasons that you've alluded to with drivers like Mark Winterbottom getting to that stage of his career where it'll start to be a downward trajectory in terms of results, and that's why I've got him finishing a bit lower in at 16th position. So are you confident that Randall's going to move 12 spots from his previous position in 2022? I know that it's a big call, but that's what I've backed. Okay. That's what I'm backing. That's what I'm predicting. We'll see at the end of the year. We will indeed. And then Declan Fraser, the third of our rookie drivers in the field. Uh, unfortunately, I've got him in position 25 in the championship. And I know that that's harsh, but when you look at Tickford Racing's form... Unfortunately, across their four cars, the the fourth best car has not had a history of getting great results. And I just feel like this is going to be a bit of a, a tough initiation for Declan Fraser into the championship. So I've got him a little bit higher. So I've actually got him in 23rd. I, I know what you're saying in relation to the fourth tick for driver um, probably not performing as well as the other three and, and just... Um, I guess sliding down the order a little bit more. But um, Jake Estecki still finished 22nd last year and obviously Thomas Randall finished 23rd. So they they were second and third last um, behind Jack Smith, um, obviously taking out the the premier um, situation with, with um, Gary Jacobson and um, James Golding. But, yeah, I, I just feel that Declan's going to probably have a, a, a year where he's going to have a couple of better performances than, than Cameron Hill and, and Jack Smith. And I think... Um, there will be times where Declan and the team can get in the window, and I think I think you, particularly if if you for me if you're ranking drivers head to head, particularly in the bottom parts, well, Declan Fraser did beat Cameron Hill head to head last year in the Super Two Series, and I would expect that the fourth Tickford might be on the, on its day a little bit better than the Matt Stone Racing entry of Cameron Hill. That's not to say that neither of them can can beat each other. I think both of them will have a ding dong battle in that regard, but. Um, I think, yeah, I think if we're ranking them, that's where, why I've sort of leaned towards Declan uh, over Cameron in, in 23rd and then 24th, and then Jack for me is Jack Smith for me is 25th. Well, it's interesting as well when we compare our predictions for the rookies. So I've actually got Cameron Hill as the top placed rookie of the season in 21st, and I think you had Matt Payne, didn't you, in 20th? Yeah, I did. Yeah, so I did. you're predicting Matt Payne to be the best performing rookie then. I just think with the car, I'm, I'm more looking at where the car... I know, and, and it's funny, we, we, talk, we said at the start of the podcast, we're not looking at the car, we're probably looking at the drivers and where they are compared to head-to-head. But I just feel that Grove Racing over a year will better develop the car for Matt Payne over, over the fourth Tickford and the second MSR or first MSR, depending on which side you want to lean on. I just feel that that, that development over the second half of the year might lead to Matt getting some better results and that leading to him be a little, leading to him being a little bit higher in the standings. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you on that, but I do think it will be a, an interesting subplot this season to see who ends up being the highest-placed rookie. Well, you actually do because you've put them in different positions. So you don't, you don't agree with me. You disagree with me. So put your... 
put your money on the line and say you are disagreeing with me because that's where you put them. True, but I, what I don't disagree with is the fact that I think that Grove Racing and their development, I think that, yes, I, I think that will play a factor. Whether it's enough for Matt Payne to finish ahead of Cameron Hill in the championship, I'm not so sure. So, yeah, anyway. That picket fence you're sitting on is looking prettier right now. <laughs> well, two teams left to go. So, Triple Eight Race Engineering, Shane Van Gisbergen, a driver at the top of his game, and obviously the reigning champion, now a, a three time champion in supercars. And Brock Feeney, his teammate moving into his second full time season, got his maiden race victory in the last race of the season on the streets of Adelaide last year. And Despite the fact that we do have a new car and despite all of the upheaval with the technical regulations, I still think the cream will rise to the top and this will be the team to beat. I think that Shane Van Gisbergen, despite the fact that maybe outwardly he hasn't appeared as enthusiastic about the Gen 3 cars as some of the other drivers, I still think that when the lights go out and the racing starts, his pure ability behind the wheel will come to the fore, so I have him winning the championship. Brock Feeney, I, I see him continuing his progression. We saw that he was starting to go really well towards the end of last year. Not only that, but he's also proven himself very, very proficient at adapting to new cars. We've seen some particularly impressive performances from him in the GT Championship and most recently at the Bathurst 12 hour. So I've got Brock Feeney coming third in the championship this year. So I could be bland and boring and go, yep, Shane Van Gisbergen's going to win the championship and la di da di da di da And I think everyone else is going to do the same, probably in most podcasts that will be released on supercars. I'm going to do things a little bit different this year. So Brock Feeney is my number one and Shane Van Gisbergen is my number two. Wow. Now, now there is plenty to talk about with this. So obviously Shane will start as favourite, raging favourite, and I have no doubt that he will be in contention for the championship throughout the majority of the season. And he may go on to win it, and I have no problems with that, no disputing with that, and you can come back to me in, in December and go, hey, you got it wrong. But if you look at Triple Eight in the last 15 years, or since, it's, since it started 20 years ago, when they've recruited a new driver either in the first or second year, they have overtaken or beaten their teammate in the championship. So Shane did it in his first year in 2016, ended up winning the championship. In 2007, in the second year of Jamie Wincup uh, and Craig Lowndes being teammates, Jamie Wincup finished second in the title race, Craig Lowndes finished third, and we at the time would have had Craig Lowndes as either the one or two driver in the country in supercars. We would have rated him very highly. And let's not forget in the 2006 Bathurst 1000, he ended up winning it on that memorable day for, for, um, for many reasons. My point here is in the last three to four months, we've seen from Brock Feeney a maturity that we didn't see in the first half of the year. We saw him win in Adelaide, and that drive was one of the best drives of the year. The, the amount of pressure that he was on, to, to deliver and to perform and to do what he needed to do that day was extraordinary and he handled all of that immensely well and ended up winning the race. He's then transitioned into GT racing at the start of the year and Triple Eight gave him the license to finish the race and to qualify the race in the 12-hour 
ahead of Shane Van Giesbergen. Now, I'm not saying team tactics played a part in terms of me picking Feeney over Van Giesbergen, but it does show that it's a vote of confidence from that team compared to four months ago where we went to Bathurst for the 1,000 and they gave Winkup the keys to qualify rather than Brock Feeney. So it's, it's amazing in that four months how Brock suddenly transformed into this far more mature driver. And if we look at his results for the 12 months before, or the, the few months before Adelaide, he was really good. He just wasn't able to deliver consistent podiums and consistent wins. I feel this year he's going to be in that opportunity. He's got the same, um, he's at the same level with Shane in terms of experience in the car. Both of them will have had the same amount of experience. Both of them would have the same amount of time in the car. I also feel that because of the way the, the car is designed and, and the weight is lower, Brock's um, height and weight advantage over Shane's going to be a factor. I mean, you're probably going to get 20 to 30 kilos of ballast with Brock compared to Shane. And that's no disrespect to Shane. It's just the way way he is compared to Brock. But the, the key thing for me out of, out of all of this is that um, – we don't know what Shane's doing at the end of this year. He may leave supercars and he may leave Triple Eight. Now, if you've got a driver that could be invested for the next 10 years compared to a driver that may be only invested for one year, at some point in the season, if you have to make a decision of who to lean by, well, you might be starting to favour and picking towards Brock Feeney over Shane Van Gisbergen because if Shane's going to leave, well, you may as well put your chips in with the kid that could be there for the next 10 years and will be there next year. So for me, it's a bunch of little factors that probably start to me leaning towards Brock. He was really good at the end of last year. He's been really good at the start of this year. He's saying everything right. He's, he's keeping his mind focused on Newcastle. I guess the biggest disadvantage for, for Brock is that we start the season in Newcastle and he's never raced a supercar there. The only thing he has raced is a Toyota 86. So he's going to have to quickly adapt to that circuit and get uh, up to grips with it. But he did the same in Adelaide late last year. Yes, he raced in Super 2 there, but he hadn't raced in the supercar there and ended up winning in Adelaide. So there's no doubt he could do the same in um, in Newcastle. And he's going to have the best car on the grid. There's no doubt that Triple Eight racing will be there or thereabouts when we start the season. So to me, all these factors point towards we could be seeing the starting, the starting of a new, um, of a new era or a new um, dominance in Triple Eight by a new, by a different driver. And look, I might be completely wrong. Brock might finish second or third in the championship, and Shane might cancer and still win by three to six hundred point, three hundred to six hundred points, like he did last year. And that may happen. But I just feel, with what history has shown us, and what history is providing us, and with what Shane has been doing over the last few months, and what Brock's been doing over the last few months. There could be a pendulum swing towards Brock, and that could be the decisive factor that might see him win a championship for the first time. Bold prediction from Shane Jones, predicting that 2023 will be the year of the changing of the guard at Triple Eight. So let's say at the end of the season, if that prediction comes to fruition. So that leaves us with one last team on the list, which is the Walkinshaw Andrea United team. Unchanged driver lineup, Chaz Mostert and Nick Perkett, but the change of manufacturer, they've gone from General Motors across to Ford. They will be running at Mustangs in 2023. Chaz Mostert, we have seen some brilliant performances from Chaz 
We've also seen some inconsistency last year with the car setup, which led to him getting some poor results at some events, particularly over in Perth. But overall, I still rate Chas Mostert as one of the most talented drivers on the grid in terms of raw driver ability. And for that reason, I do have him finishing runner-up in the championship. He was way ahead of Nick Perkett last year. In fact, if you look at last year's championship, Chas was third, Nick was 15th. I don't have Perkett going quite that badly this year. I think with the, the change in car specification, they will be a bit more evenly matched. But I've still got Nick Perkett finishing a fair way behind his teammate in 10th position in the championship. What about you, Shane? So our top three in the championship is exactly the same, just a little bit different. So I've got Chas Mostert in third. So you've got him runner-up, but I've got him in third. And I've got Nick Perkett in 16th. Uh, oh, wow. Pretty much replicating where he was last year when he finished 15th. This is nothing on Nick, um, but I just feel that whatever's going on with that second Walkinshaw since um, James Courtney and um, Scott Pye left, whatever happens with that second car, there, there has to be some bad juju or whatever, but they just cannot replicate what happens in the first car to what happens in the second car. It's happened for the last two seasons, and I just can't see it changing in season three uh, with Nick back on the wheel. I mean, he had a pretty awful year by his standards last year, and, um, yeah, there's no doubt that he would he would want to improve quite quickly, and obviously there'll be rumours about him uh, and his drive next year if, uh, if um, he does another similar year to what he did um, last year. But, yeah, I... I it's just something with that second car that they've just never been able to to put them both on an even keel and and be competitive with each other, and that's probably what's cost them getting a couple of further spots up in the in the teams championship. But on his day, Nick's Nick's a great driver. He's won multiple races. He's done he's done everything before. But yeah, it's just it's a shame to see, to be brutally honest, because when when the deal was announced, you just all we all thought that he'd be. Up there, be a legitimate contender. He'd be able to do different things with that car to, to finally put him in the in the championship game. But he just never was it was in it last year, and I, I just can't see him being in it this year. And particularly his qualifying pace, he, he raced really well last year, but his qualifying pace was nowhere. And I just don't know how that's going to transition with the new car. There's too many question marks for me, and the new car, and the new manufacturer, and the new everything it may eliminate all the problems and Nick might skyrocket to the top. And if he does, that'd be fantastic. But I also think with them, there being too many question marks about what's happening, that it might take him time to settle into driving a, a Ford, driving a, the Gen 3, driving different situations and, and working his way back up to the top. So for all those reasons, I, that's why I've got Nick a little bit lower. In relation to Chaz, obviously, yeah, he's one of the top four drivers in the in the championship. Um, the key with this with him and, and his championship credentials is just what car he has got in Newcastle with the team transitioning to Ford. Obviously there's there's gonna be the parity issues, but we're not gonna get into that. But it, it's all gonna come down to what type of car he's got underneath him to be a contender in the in his championship. If he has the same equipment as everyone else on his day, he's top three, top two, maybe even the winner. So it's just going to depend on what car Walkinshaw can provide at the start of the season. If it's a good one, well, he can absolutely win the championship. But if it's not so good and there's obviously those lacking, there's there's parity issues that are there and the Ford lacking 
compared to the Camaro, well, then obviously that's going to be an issue. But um, as we said, we're doing things all tens and purposes. So for me, I think um, he'll be the best of the rest behind Triple Eight this year. Yeah, there were some occasions last year where Chaz Mostert was the best driver in the field, but then there were other occasions where they were, you know, nowhere. Uh, Perth, I already mentioned, where the team just had an absolute shock when it came to car setup, but then there were various other incidents and issues throughout the year. So I remember at the Australian Grand Prix where he got caught up in that tangle with James Courtney in the last corner of the race and then the disqualification in Darwin for the the, uh, the tech infringement up there as well. So if Mostert's going to be a championship contender, they need a car that is going to be fighting at the front of the field at every event and they just need to iron out some of those mistakes. 100%. It's, it's going to be fascinating how, how it all pans out. And I think, I think with the fact that Walkinshaw going over to Ford, we've now got four legitimate, and no disrespect to Blanchard's, but it will change when Blanchard goes to a two-car two team hopefully next year. But there's four legitimate four teams that can take the fight up to Camaro. And obviously with Camaro, you've got now, um, you've obviously got Triple Eight, but then you've got, you think on their day, Erebus can do something. You've got Premier potentially doing something, Team 18 potentially doing something. BJR. I the, the BJR. I think the, the, the battle between Ford and Camaro if we can get this parity situation sorted out and everything's level playing field, it could be really exciting because we've finally got that that balance between some really strong four teams and some really strong Camaro teams. We could really see a really strong championship. We just hopefully get the parity situation sorted out where every team's got an equal opportunity on, on any um, weekend that they go to. Indeed. And it'll be interesting to see which of the manufacturers ends up on top at the end of the season. So we get to the end of all 25 drivers in the field and there were some that we agreed on. There were a lot that our predicted finishing positions were very close and then there were a few where there were a bit bigger differences in our predicted results. But in the end, we both ended up and we didn't talk to each other at all before we recorded this podcast. We still managed to end up with the same top three, albeit not in exactly the same order. So... Shane Jones has tipped a triple eight one two with Brock Feeney ahead of Shane Van Gisbergen and Chaz Mostert finishing third. I have got Shane Van Gisbergen winning the championship ahead of Mostert with Feeney rounding out the top three. And I, yep. I think finally, just before we wrap things up, I mean, obviously we'll do our our Bathurst preview podcast a bit later on in the year, but one of the the big storylines this year will be. The, the season of endurance, the Sandown 500 makes its return. And it's interesting to note that a lot of teams have got in very early when it comes to signing up their co-drivers, primarily because they want to maximise their co-drivers' seat time in these Gen 3 cars before we get to the Enduros. Yeah, I think almost half, this, half the field is um, signed up already. And if they're not signed up, then um, we pretty much know that they're going to sign up to a certain team. So... Yeah, I think that's been nice in that respect. I think sometimes we we have such a prolonged um, situation where we don't know who's going to drive, but we really know who's going to drive. Or there's teams that really struggle to find one, so they leave it literally to the last minute. Whereas it's nice that we have half the field. We know where most people are going to drive uh, at both Sandown and Bathurst. And then, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of us can pretty much fill in the gaps for the rest, but... Um, it is nice to see that teams have, have taken some initiative and, and been able to um, yeah, sign and recruit 
the drivers that they need. And obviously, um, yeah, getting getting them giving them valuable time. I mean, particularly with Tickford when Declan was unfortunately ill um, for the test session on on the, the previous Wednesday gone by, giving the four co-drivers the opportunity to basically test for a whole day. That's that's huge. That's valuable experience that that they'll get in a, a Mustang, and it will prove them one. It will give them. Uh, it will be beneficial to them and do them wonders when um, we do get to Sandown and Bathurst later in the year. Well, that completes our Check and Flag Chat preview podcast for the 2023 Repco Supercars Championship. All kicks off at Newcastle. Great to have the Newcastle 500 making its return to the calendar. It's going to be a huge season. It's going to be unpredictable. There are going to be plenty of fascinating storylines. Whether you're travelling around the country to events or you're watching at home on TV, we hope you enjoyed the season. Thanks for tuning in to the Check and Flag Chat podcast. On behalf of Shane Jones, I'm Lockie Mansell. Hopefully, see you trackside in 2023.